We're excited to announce that our very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, has become a new sponsor to the show. Check out the podcast discount link in our show notes and stay tuned for why we love using Zen for the podcast. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. This is the CRM Archaeology Podcast. It's the show where we pull back the veil of cultural resources management archaeology and discuss the issues that everyone is concerned about. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 168 for July 17th, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Webster. On today's show, we talk about lodging. So pack your bags and clean your toothbrush because the CRM Archaeology Podcast starts right now. Welcome to the show, everyone. Joining me today are Doug in Scotland. Hey, everyone. And East Coast Bill in Maryland. Hey there. All right. So let's get this rolling. If the others join us, they do. If they don't, they don't. Um, but otherwise, you can always join us as a listener by sending in an email, chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com, or you can tweet at arcpodnet. Plus, the Twitter handles for all of our hosts are on the show notes over at arcpodnet.com forward slash podcast. Okay. So there's been... A lot of talk lately on the socials about uh, lodging, especially as we're getting into the field season. And we're, I mean, we're pretty much square right in the middle of the field season at this point as we record this in early to mid-July. And it's it's something we've mentioned before is, is some of these lodging things. And actually one post in particular brought this back to the forefront and it was something about uh, something about per diem and companies, uh, basically the, the old trope of, of companies saying, here, we're going to put you in this lodging and we're going to pocket the balance of the per diem, which is, you know, not something that they're actually doing. You got to look at the bigger picture on that, but we're not going to get into that too much. What we're going to talk about are, I guess, alternative lodging methods and things like Airbnb and other vacation rental spots. I remember before Airbnb was even a thing, we stayed on uh, Curry Beach in North Carolina for a project in Wilmington, North Carolina, because it was off season and it was ultimately cheaper for us to get like this three story, two, three story, uh, I guess, townhouses or condos. I don't know. They were three stories, garage down below, plus a room down there. And then uh, like a uh, like a kitchen and living area on the middle floor. And then the top floor had three bedrooms and uh, and two or three bathrooms. I can't remember. And it was really nice. It was really nice. It was ultimately cheaper for the company, cheaper for us. Um, and it was really great being right across the street from the beach while we were working. And that was a good thing. And that was done through a vacation rental place, um, not something like Airbnb. A lot of those coastal things are not on Airbnb. They're through these vacation rental programs. So in fact, I just got back from one in North Carolina uh, yesterday as we're recording this. So anyway, what are you guys' initial thoughts? And we'll start with Bill in Maryland, since you're in this country dealing with these things right now. What are your initial thoughts on field techs using things like Airbnb or you as a project manager finding Airbnbs for your crews. I mean, is that something that you're considering uh, when you're thinking about all this stuff these days? Actually, typically, no. Um, with, with most of the projects I work on sort of here in the East Coast, the there's an abundance uh, normally, uh, unless you, like you say, are at, at a sort of a beach environment uh, of hotels, motels, uh, mm-hmm. and things like that. And typically, it's going to be sort of your, you know, it's it's sort of your old trope of CRM. It's sort of the cheapest motel they can find with the doors on the outside. And there may be the people in the parking lot who are sitting on lawn chairs as you're driving in and out. And maybe <laughs> always not not necessarily the nicest uh, places on there. So in, 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 in theory, I would definitely like the idea of, of the Airbnb thing, especially for like a situation you're talking about there is like, there's not pl- there's not going to be other sort of like hotel accommodations closer. You can get an entire house with that, um, I mean, I did that. Take that back. I did do that once. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I did stay. It was a project up in Cape Cod, and um, it was hard to get hotels on Cape Cod in the middle of the summer. Um, so we were staying at a house, and uh, that worked out well. Um, I think the only concern I would have with, with those types of accommodations um, would be the same type of concerns I'd have with any accommodations. Are you trying to do things like double up rooms? Are you mm-hmm. trying to do things? Like, you know, not not give everyone a chance for sort of their private space, because the thing with uh, at least what I always look at when you're looking at for traveling out of town is 
you're only paying these people for when they're in the field. The other time is still their time. Yes, you've taken them away from home and, and, and taken away the opportunity to do whatever they would normally do during their off time. So respecting the privacy of people or the need of privacy of people during their off hours, I, I think is important. Uh, not everyone yeah. is going to want to be part of the super, super chummy, uh, let's turn this into sort of a, a, a mini vacation type of thing. People are, you know, some people are professionals, they like to do their work and they sometimes don't like to see their coworkers until the next morning. And that's perfectly fine. So that would be my only thought on that kind of like group, uh, group setting. Well, of course, I, and I want to, I definitely want to talk about this during this podcast, but uh, my preference is always let the field tech sort it out. And, and I, I know that companies and, and especially certain project managers and things like that have their own thoughts behind that uh, because they're like, we want everybody in the same place at the same time. So we, so we know everybody's going to be there. But again, we've talked about that uh, a lot <laughs> on the show uh, about opinions around that. So let's, let's just take that out of the equation for right now. But looking at say the Airbnb thing, like for example, this house that we were in last week. Now, of course, this house is way more expensive than something we'd ever stay in for CRM because we were literally right on the ocean and we had a swimming pool and the house had an elevator. <laughs> I mean, that's not the kind of thing you're going to find in your typical Airbnb. However, the type of house is something you can find all over the East Coast. And I say the East Coast because it feels like they're more populated, more focused around tourism in general, uh, you know, up and down the eastern seaboard. And and finding a house that has, you know, four or five bedrooms where each bedroom has its own TV, its own cable system, its own, um, its own bathroom and shower. If you have your own bathroom and your own TV and there's decent enough internet in the house... I, ha I I personally think, and I'm, I'm one that likes a personal space, I, I, I sometimes don't want to see anybody after work. But if I can go in there and I don't have to see anybody after work, I can still pull out my, you know, my cooking stuff in my room if I want and, and never come out. Because if I have a TV and a bathroom and a bed, that's basically a hotel room. But if I want to use a full kitchen, if I want to go use the other amenities of the house, well, then I have those available to me. And as long as I guess as long as the other guests, the other coworkers are being respectful of, you know, curfew times and things like that. I don't mean curfew, but, you know, like being quiet after a certain hour, you know, stuff like that. And like not playing really loud music or TV or something, not having a huge party up until, you know, one o'clock in the morning on a work night. Then then I'm personally fine with it, um, which is somewhat shocking to me because early in my career, I never would have done that. <laughs> and I had to do that sometimes, but I wouldn't have done it. But what do you think about that? Like if you're getting the same amenities of a hotel room in a single room of a house, but then you have the other flexibility of the rest of the house, like the refrigerator, the kitchen, you know, all those other things you get with a house. I don't know. That seems pretty sweet. No, that does. That does. I mean, that's definitely like like sort of going the other end. I was saying as long as those other things are sort of in place. Yeah, that sounds like sure. a perfect solution for things. I. I mean, there's sort of other factors. I've, I've worked for bigger companies, and one of the bigger mm -hmm. factors is that typically your travel is not being set by you. It's somebody up in corporate or HR or some other department, mm -hmm. and they have set up certain arrangements with travel companies or with hotel chains themselves where they can have pre-negotiated rates and things like that, and they prefer to use those companies. You know, they will, you know, it's, it's one of those weird things is like, you know, just to throw a name out there, like it has to be a quality in chain because we get better <laughs> discounts with them. So we'll end up being 45 minutes from the project area, even though there were three hotels, 20 minutes from the project area, but they weren't with our our preferred uh, hotel vendor. So we're going to drive further uh, to get so that someone in the company can get a, a, their cheaper rate that they've negotiated. So right. yeah, there's always that kind of weirdness when it comes to travel too. The logic of travel of like how close you are to the site um, versus how cheap they you know the, the company needs to be, uh, mm -hmm. and, I, and I want to put it that way not 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 is but needs to be because these are all you know these are all budgeted things and most like everything else with a CRM budget it's most likely under budget uh, where mm -hmm. they they bid under what the actual costs are um, so to not lose your shirt you have to make you know accommodate you know you have to get everyone into a room. But that room needs to be as cheap as possible before you lose your shirt. Yeah. I mean, if you didn't bid the project with a certain amount of per diem, whether you're giving that to the field crews directly or not, but if you didn't bid it for the 
for the location that you're at and the housing prices and, you know, and just what the actual cost of living is where the project area is, man, you're just, you're just shooting yourselves in the foot. You know, and I, I'd like to think that most companies are not doing that. You know, I mean, most companies are not doing that, at least on a regular basis. Maybe that happens sometimes when you get a new project manager that's trying to win something and they didn't really, they're like, oh, we always use $90 a day per diem, but it turns out hotels in this new town that we have never worked in before, $150 a day <laughs> in the summertime, you know, something like that. Not looking at the seasonality of hotel costs or or Airbnb or something like that and and not paying attention to that when they're actually bidding the project. Or, or I've seen it before, bidding a project that isn't going to happen for six months. You know, they bid it for today's prices. And in six months, you know, like you're, you're bidding it in January or December, but the project isn't actually going to go down until the summertime when prices are higher. You know, if you're, if you're on a, uh, if you're in a touristy area where prices always go up in the summertime or even like in the wintertime, you know, prices go up, say around like Tahoe up here in the wintertime. Not that you can work outside in archaeology like Tahoe in the winter, but you get my point. You know, there's high seasons and low seasons for places. And if you don't plan for that, you're screwed. To add to that, Chris, um, also, yeah, think about where you are in the project development phase. So if you're yeah. out to be doing monitoring, then that means you're probably going to be out there with a bunch of the construction crew as well. Uh, I've seen projects um, where it looks fine and, you know, you're, you're usually there before any of the bulldozers come in. So you don't have to worry about that. But on some big road schemes and stuff like that, especially when you're out in the middle of nowhere, um, it's always good to take into account that if you're doing like, say, monitoring work or anything that you're going to mm -hmm. be there with the construction guys, they're going to need places too. And that can quickly take up everything and they usually are paid a lot more so they can um, basically outbid you for <laughs> any hotels or accommodation. So it's, it's, it's another thing for anyone who's listening to this, who's going to be in that situation at some point, make mm -hmm. sure you know what, where in the project development phase you are, because you might be competing against uh, your own, not quite coworkers, but I guess, I don't know, other contractors on the project. Sure. Yeah. You know, uh, Doug, while we're still in this segment, I, and I, I'm pretty sure we have talked about this uh, a number of times, but over in Scotland, uh, I'm curious as to the lodging requirements for projects. And I believe you said before, correct me if I'm wrong on this, that a lot of times, I mean, quite frankly, because the area is so small and there's enough companies or, or archaeological units, as they call them out there in the UK, um, working out there that you don't really need to travel too much for uh, for work. But when people do have to travel, what, what's what's the lodging situation look like for an archaeologist in the UK? Yeah. Um, so there's the Central Belt, which is Edinburgh and uh, Glasgow, and that's the sort of lowlands. Mm -hmm. And usually, I mean, two-hour drive gets you to England or pretty much covers most of the places in that area. So you, yeah, you're just going from your home base out to the job, but the highlands, you basically have to, they're just, they're not that far, but the roads aren't great. And it's uh, <laughs> a different type of remoteness, uh, yeah. a remoteness where you, you're only 50 miles away, but it takes you two or three hours to get there. <laughs> um, maybe more. And with the highlands, you don't really have, unless you get to one of the bigger cities like Aberdeen or Inverness, there's no chain hotels. So mm -hmm. essentially what you're looking for is B&Bs or holiday. Um, basically, it's anything because, you know, during the summer, uh, yeah, also you can't really do work um, during tourist season. So between, I don't know, June and um, September-ish, if you, if you mm -hmm. haven't booked a year and ahead, you're going to be suffering but yeah it's basically just a bunch of b&b's it's, it's a lot more cottage industry there there are some sort of bigger hotels but they tend to be like these a certain type of tourist it's hard to describe but uh what was it that that movie um grand budapest or whatever um mm -hmm. it's sort of oh, yeah older um older clientele who tend to be well off and big fancy places you can actually occasionally during the off season end up in a place like that um depending where you're at um yeah. but other than that it's usually just you know b&b's and you could do airbnb's but it's a it's a toss-up um my preference is actually for 
if you can manage it to actually get like a B and B, because you then get breakfast included. It's not something you have to worry about, depending on you know what time you have to be on site and stuff. Right. So. I'll tell you, my wife and I, uh, when we came out and, and saw you out there, actually, uh, for the EAAs when they were there, what, four or five years ago now, we got there, what, five days, I think, before the conference started. So we got there whatever Saturday that was before the conference started and rented a car out of the airport in Edinburgh. And uh, we just decided to drive. We had decided this early, but we decided we were going to drive basically up towards Aberdeen and then go counterclockwise um, around the country there. And the only place that we had planned ahead of time before we left the USA was the first night. And I can't remember even where that was. It was that town with the the bridge, the fifth or something or other, it's a huge bridge. I don't know what it was. Anyway, we stayed in this one little place and it was somebody's residence who, and they lived there. So it was just a room and she made us breakfast in the morning, uh, which was great. And then a couple of nights. And then every time after that, we just decided we would drive. And in the in the morning, we would decide where we were going to stay for the night based on what we wanted to see. So we didn't plan anything out. And a lot of the and it was all through Airbnb, too. We didn't stay in any chain hotels, uh, nothing. Not even when we got to Glasgow, we had that Airbnb, Doug, that you saw um, that we were staying in uh, uh, in Glasgow. And it was pretty great because you're right. All the air, all the bed and breakfasts up there are really great. You get breakfast in the morning. Uh, it's just a really nice place. All the rooms are nice. Uh, you know, everything's kind of different uh, depending on where you stay. And all the Airbnb, all the B and Bs, I think, are on Airbnb. <laughs> so if you look really closely on Airbnb, and you find this on the West Coast here in the United States too, you drive up and down the coast. There's a lot of um, bed and breakfasts that are now on Airbnb as another way to find one of their rooms. And I don't think we paid more than uh, ninety to a hundred dollars US. I don't remember what the conversion was into euros, but. I don't think we paid more than about ninety two hundred dollars US for any one night, and that was getting it on the day that we were going to be staying there, and and I think it was in September, and it was pretty great. It was pretty great. We now, of course, we were staying in some pretty small areas where I don't think there were a lot of people. You know, we'd find these really tiny towns and just these little things that weren't even towns, and just some place that's on our our route that we're taking, uh, especially when we were up through the highlands. I don't know. It was it was an amazing way to. I guess, take a vacation. And I really liked it. It made me really think about traveling around like that for archaeology and finding little places like this and how how awesome it would be to, um, you know, to stay in these unique circumstances and not in a crappy, you know, dime hotel or whatever uh, on the side of the road. So anyway, uh, I blathered on to the end of the segment. So let's take our first break and come back and continue this discussion about alternative lodging, Airbnbs and all the other stuff back in a minute. Chris Webster here for the Archaeology Podcast Network. We strive for high-quality interviews and content so you can find information on any topic in archaeology from around the world. One way we do that is by recording interviews with our hosts and guests located in many parts of the world all at once. We do that through the use of Zencaster. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R. Zencaster allows us to record high-quality audio with no stress on the guest. Just send them a link to click on and that's it. Zencaster does the rest. They even do automatic transcriptions. Check out the link in the show notes for 30% off your first three months or go to zencastr.com and use the code CRMARC. Looking to expand your knowledge of x-rays and imaging in the archaeology field? Then check out An Introduction to Paleoradiography, a short online course offering professional training for archaeologists and affiliated disciplines. Created by archaeologist, radiographer, and lecturer James Elliott, the content of this course is based upon his research and teaching experience in higher education. It is approved by the Chartered Institute for Archaeologists as four hours of training. That's in the UK, for those of you that don't know. So don't miss out on this exciting opportunity for professional and personal development. For more information on pricing and course structure, visit paleoimaging.com. That's P-A-L-E-O imaging.com. And look for the link in the show notes to this episode. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. 
All right, welcome back to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 168, where we're talking about lodging, Airbnbs, and such. And Doug, you had some thoughts on B&Bs and Airbnbs. Yeah, um, it was actually a comment off of something you had mentioned in the last segment, which is you said, you know, um, a lot of the smaller B&Bs were actually on Airbnb. Mm-hmm. And that is a, a trend I'm seeing more and more um, as the years go along is a lot of places, they may be like a B&B, they may even be a chain um, hotel, you know, all sorts of different ranges. Um, a lot of apartments and stuff are now going on to those bigger websites, those sort of aggregate hotels and places to stay. So um, mm-hmm. Expedia or Hotels.com or Bookings.com or, you know, there's, there's probably like, I don't know, several hundred of those. But it is now that a lot of those sites are not just hotels. So you, if you are looking for an apartment or are looking for a and b or something, you actually have a lot more options now um, when you go through those sort of aggregate sites. And um, the reason I, I mention this is because I, I like to go through those sites because of points. Mm-hmm. So I use Hotels.com a lot. Where, you know, where it fits in the budget and there's, there's other considerations that go into it. But if I can, I use that because every, well, it's an average, but after 10 nights of staying, you get a night free. So it's a good way to build up and be able to like pay for holidays outside of work by having work pay for it basically, or at least part of it. So, um, and you know, a lot of hotel chains as well have sort of, point-based systems and various things like that. But if you, I mean, it it depends on the company you're working for, the project, it's a whole bunch of factors. But if you are given the chance to be able to find your own accommodation, I highly recommend trying to go with something that can give you points. And like, I I sort of go through like a a hierarchy. So not my first priority, but if I can do like a hotels.com, and then mm-hmm. after that, I start looking at things like location and then breakfast as well. Um, yeah. What, yeah, what are your guys' sort of like, if you do get the option to choose accommodation, either as a project manager or working for someone else, what is your sort of, I guess, hierarchy or your must-haves? Or how do you guys break it out and try to find accommodation? You know, this is assuming that like you actually have the option and it's not like some town in the middle of nowhere and there's one place to stay and that makes <laughs> it easy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I, when I do a project, I actually prefer hotels because it's sort of like everybody, everybody's sort of in the same place, but I guess, you know, a good Airbnb where everyone's in the same place is there. I'm looking for a place that's going to have good free internet um, so that I can continue my, you know, office work. Cause when you're out in the field as a project manager, your, your, your reports and other things don't stop uh, because you're in the field. So having good access to good internet is in place. I do like the places with free breakfast and saves a trip. Uh, in the morning, especially if you're starting like, you know, 6.30, 7.30 in the morning, uh, kind of early or late. Um, and you, you sort of take that there. Plus, it always works out well, at least for the projects I work on, because uh, they're not they're not terribly long. There may be a week, three weeks max. Um, so you get a crew van together and it's already there at the hotel. And every you can sort of meet everybody downstairs for breakfast and everybody just hops into the van and you drive out to the site. Uh, mm-hmm. So So from, you know. From my selfish point of view, it's sort of the easiest and laziest way for me to to work it out there. Uh, I'm sure crew would have much different opinions on that. But from like, you know, being the the sort of one running the field project, uh, that's always nice because everything's there. I know where everyone's at. uh, And uh, but you still have your sort of private space. Yeah, I think uh, my my must haves are definitely Internet, microwave and fridge. If it doesn't have those things, then, you know, I, I just. I, I wouldn't even stay there. I mean, those are just like quality of life issues at this point. You know, you need to have a way to cook and store your food. And a, a lot of people might have coolers. They might have, you know, other ways that they're cooking and that's fine. But I think for just basics, uh, just to keep yourself happy, having those three things um, are essential to life these days. Some of my nice to haves are a swimming pool. It's really nice in the summertime to be have a, have a pool sometimes. Just jump in and go for a swim and hang out with the crew and you know, do that. Um, not a must have, but definitely a nice to have. Breakfast is a tricky one because while I don't mind 
hotel breakfast, especially if they have some like fruit options and things like that, because a lot of times the the breakfast will just make me sick throughout the day <laughs> if I eat oh. it because it's not the best breakfast. They're not the best options. No, they are. No. They, you get what you paid for. Free. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but here's the problem. A lot of times we're starting before breakfast is served and you have to take that into account when you're saying, oh, I chose this place because they have a great, great breakfast, but breakfast starts at seven and we're leaving at six, you know, uh, out here in the Great Basin. We will often leave real early in the summertime because of the heat later on in the day. So we might have a day that starts at five, six o'clock just because of that. Um, and we'll never get the breakfast. Like, for example, I'm going on a project tomorrow and I have to be at the mine that I'm going to on Tuesday morning at 6 a.m., <laughs> which means I've got to leave the hotel at 4.30 in the morning just to get up there. And the hotel has a breakfast, but I, of course, didn't plan on that because I always stay in that hotel for this project. However, the Starbucks opens at 3.30. So, you know, I've got my bases covered. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the other um, nice to haves that I like to say, and it's almost a must have depending on like the length of the project, because some people have a lot of stuff, right? Like they just bring in a truckload of things and a nice to have is an elevator, you know, even if it's only a, a two floor uh, hotel or something like that. But if it's, you know, you get like a three floor walk up and you've got to you've got to hoof it up those stairs and they don't have an elevator, which I've been in before and they assign you that top room. I almost always ask for the bottom room just because, you know, I don't care. I'm tired enough at the end of the night that I don't care about people walking over. Yeah, me. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, especially if you're like, you know, the, the, the crew chief or the field. So you're in charge of the big bucket of water oh, yeah. and the transit yeah. and uh, whatever else expensive, you know, the, the, you know, the trembles and any other expensive yeah. piece of equipment that you have to take out of the van every single night. Yeah. Uh, and, and log up to your room. So yeah, elevators are a lifesaver. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, and, and a, a comment on points uh, that you were mentioning earlier, Doug, um, hotels.com. I can't agree more. I mean, I, man, I, I've had several free nights already this year because I book literally everything through hotels.com. I look at Airbnb first because I like the, I like the idea and of having an entire house and, I don't even do rooms anymore. It's just too much of a pain in the ass. You never know what you're going to get. I can't have that variability in my travel unless it's like just an, a quick overnight. I'll, I'll book a room or something. But if I'm staying there longer than one night and I'm, and I'm going to be out there for a little while, I need the whole house. <laughs> even if it's just me. I, I just I want that space. And, and you can often find that in small towns for the same price as a hotel room. You're getting somebody's entire residence, which is pretty nice. But uh, when I can't find something on Airbnb that fits the bill, I, I immediately go to Hotels.com. And I really don't look anywhere else because I've, I've never not had luck with Hotels.com. And it keeps you coming back because, like you said, Doug, you get the free nights. And, and to elaborate that on that a little more, Doug alluded to it, but it's an average of the past 10 nights. So you stay 10 nights and let's say, you know, you, you the average cost of a hotel you were getting was 60, 70, $80. It's probably going to be on the mid to lower end of that, but that's what your quote free night is going to be. And you can apply it to it. So you can go get a $150 hotel room and they'll take your free night, which is basically like a $70 credit if that's what your average was and apply it to that night. And you can choose to apply it or not. You can save it up. And you can stack them up too and uh, and use them for whatever you want, uh, which is really great. And you might be able to double dip on points, uh, but some hotels don't allow that if it's not booked through their website. If it's booked through hotels.com, they won't allow you to get points through them as well. So if you are, say, getting a Marriott hotel or a, you know something like that through hotels.com, you might be able to get the Marriott points and the hotels.com free night um, at the same time and then double dip on those. Always check and see if the chain hotel has a points program, because even if you never use them, it's free to sign up. You can turn off all their BS emails that they send you and just rack up the points. The points expire at some point, but you know, it's just a nice to have in case you happen to be, you know, racking those up and it works out because you're guaranteed to have the hotels.com ones, um, which also do expire, by the way. Don't don't forget that your free nights expire at hotels.com. Anyway, those are those are some good things. Yeah, I think the ex expiration on the hotels is you have to book within a year. So you either have to book yeah. a new place or use your uh, whatever point your free room mm -hmm. or rooms or whatever. Um, so it's not too bad. It gives you a, a bit of chance uh, to do that. I guess mm -hmm. also another thing to sort of be considered about is, and I guess this gets into sort of an ethical issue, is when, like, say you book it um, for your entire crew and stuff, and you get the points. And some people will have, say, I don't know, a Holiday Inn card or a, 
quality in or you know those different chains will have rewards cards as well not all of them some of them do some don't and then you know your crew members would like to to collect the points as well for their stay and I, i've seen different ways of doing this and i i don't know i'm, I'm i guess uh I, I guess I'd like to see your guys' opinion on it because um, I'm a bit torn, like in the sense of if you're putting together the project and you're doing all the work to book the accommodation and everything, yeah, I can understand why you'd want the points. But then it is also a nice thing to, if one of your crew would like to gain points as well, and they're the ones who are actually staying to allow them to use their card and their points or their membership number. What are you guys' opinions on that? You know, my my thoughts on uh, really the hotel points, not like hotels.com or anything like that, is if the company's paying for it and they're not giving you that per diem, uh, if that wasn't like a collective decision, if they're just giving you food per diem and saying we're covering lodging, well, I don't think it's... I don't think it's unethical for the company to keep the points. Um, I don't think it's uh, because they can use those points for something else later on. Maybe they'll get a break on some rooms. I don't know. I don't even care. If you've agreed to work on a project where you're not getting lodging per diem, but your lodging is getting paid for, it's out of your hands from that point. It's up to the company to decide what what the lodging is and all that stuff. As long as you're okay with it, you're still going to work there. But you know, you, you can go from there. Now, I did work on a project uh, in Tampa, Florida. Uh, I think it was with Janus Research or something. It was actually not even in Tampa. It was out in the middle of the state somewhere. But we were staying at a Holiday Inn Express, which was really nice, but there was nowhere else to stay. <laughs> like, there was some golf course, and they put up this Holiday Inn Express, and, and that was, like, the only place we could stay. So, But one of the cool things they did was if you had a Holiday Inn points system, they would put you in the rotation. So uh, we stayed out there four nights a week because it was Monday through Friday. So Monday night through Thursday night. And each week of the project, they would rotate it around and they would put somebody else's points in because I guess the company didn't know how or wasn't concerned with using the points. So they said, well, if you have a number, give it to us. So you got all the points for that week for all the rooms, which was pretty great. I don't know if I ever even used those points, to be honest, but I uh, it was nice that they did that. And I'd never seen that approach before or since. So yeah, it's so weird for me on the, the points thing, because for the most part, I'm a, I'm a local uh, being close to the Baltimore DC area, most of my mm-hmm. projects are local projects. So I was just thinking about it. like last year, I think I spent five weeks uh, in a hotel only um, yeah. during the course of that. So things, so things like point. I mean, for me, it's more the rental car points uh, that, oh, yeah. that, I, that I accumulate uh, for renting the, like the crew vehicles and things like that uh, on projects is where my my point action gets into play. Uh, but I would definitely tend to agree with uh, what Chris was talking about. Like if you aren't putting money out of your pocket. If it's, if the company is already prepaid, as far as you're concerned, your entire lodging on there, um, I wouldn't think there'd be an expectation um, that you got points on it. I mean, if you could find some way to get points, I would consider that a bonus. Um, but I would go under this sort of gray area of it, it borderlines on an entitlement, feeling entitled. Um, if you're, if you're thinking you should get points for traveling on a place you didn't pay for. Um, if you get it, you should be grateful for it. But if you aren't paying out of your pocket first, uh, I would have no expect. I would have no expectations on getting those. That's mm-hmm. that's sort of how I go with sort of all things travel. If you if you're putting the money up front, then yes, you should get something from it. But if you're not, you're not. You, that's your benefit. Yeah. Is not having to yeah. like you know potentially put money on your credit card and and wait for your per diem check to come back in in a couple weeks. So here's here's something else along those lines, since this is apparently the points segment. <laughs> Let's just keep it rolling. One of the things you can try to do, uh, even if the company is paying for the hotel room and they're paying for it with their credit card, the hotel room's in your name, right? More often than not, they have to put the hotel room in your name. So when you check in, you're like, hey, I've got a room for blah, 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 paid for by the company. Uh, some hotels and some front desk people, if you're not a jerk to them, will go ahead and put your number in there if you ask them. If the company hasn't already done that, because a lot of companies don't even consider, you know, they, they deal with so much stuff and it's just too much of a hassle for them to worry about points. I don't even know how you deal with points from an accounting standpoint. You know, how do you deal with free rooms or turning those points into cash to pay the bill or something? I don't know. Um, so a lot of them, they just don't even worry about it. They're, they're in a points hotel, but they're not collecting the points. So it doesn't hurt to just go down to the front desk and say, hey, 
I have a Marriott card or I have a Wyndham card or whatever the hell the thing is and, and just give them your points and you may or may not get those. You know, a lot of times they just don't care and you can get the points. So, yeah, no, I would say, you know, be nice to your front desk person yeah. and see if that can happen. Um, but I wouldn't cause a stink at the front desk and I sure as hell no. wouldn't call the whole home office <laughs> and, and, and demand, you know, the company uh, do something. It's one of those things. Yeah. If you can do it, consider that. So consider that a bonus, but don't feel exactly. entitled. Don't feel entitled to something like that. Yeah. The other way you can get points, especially if you're booking your own lodging and you can triple dip on points this way is so the, so the first dip is hotels.com. That's giving you free nights. If you're booking through there, the second one is if you book through hotels.com and the hotel lets you use their point system, then you get two sets of points right there. You're building it in two different categories. The third way, of course, is to use a credit card that gets you points, airline miles, whatever you want it to be, but book all that stuff with that card. And then you're just getting, you're, you're piling on all these extras. And if you're a real savvy field technician and you're, and you're booking all your own lodging and you're doing that stuff, I mean, you're, you're basically funding your own vacation in the wintertime or whenever you want to take it, because let's be honest, you don't have to ask anyone to take vacation. You can literally take vacation whenever you want in the, in the best time of year and your favorite time of year. Whatever it is, you make the call and you can use all three of those different points type systems to basically fund your entire, at least the lodging portion of your vacation. And in some cases, even the flight, if, if say the credit card is earning you airline miles. Okay. I will fully, full disclosure here. I am one of the worst when it comes to sort of like <laughs> navigating this, the travel system with oh, points and things like it's that. It's hard to manage. So, so I'm like, <laughs> in addition to talking here and, and giving my two cents, I'm also taking uh, notes uh, so that I can help improve my own uh, travel situation on here. So, so there's there's things to be learned here, folks. That's, so, right. you know, so that's why you need to listen to every episode with a pen and paper in your hand, unless you're driving. <laughs> then have the passenger uh, take notes for you. That's right. No, this this whole system is complicated because there's people out there that just like they they make it their job to game the whole airline travel uh, hotel point system and there's a link that I'll put in the show notes uh for a it's basically a blog and you got to watch it because they often have a lot of sponsored stuff because they they really get in with some of these companies so but they'll they're pretty good about saying hey this is a sponsored item here we actually get something if you click on this link they're pretty good about that but it's called the points guy and it was just this guy that started basically doing all this airline travel and and now he's He's the, he's the go-to person for saying, you know, okay, what's this big deal? I actually got a new credit card one time and shut off a couple others because I saw on his blog this thing. It was actually from Wells Fargo, and I have Wells Fargo as my bank, so it kind of worked out. But it was like a two-year interest-free balance transfer credit card, and then you got points if you transferred into the balance. So I ended up with like a 75,000-point balance on my American and Airlines um, Advantage thing because it was linked in through that. Plus, I was able to transfer another credit card over that didn't have the lowest interest rate around. I think it was like 13 or 14 percent. It wasn't that good. And put that on this other credit card that is now being paid off. And it was pretty great. And I found that out by by paying attention to this guy. I follow him on Facebook. So I see all the little articles they post right through my feed. And then he's got the blog and it's just called The Points Guy. So check that out and I'll put the link in the show notes for this episode. So, all right. That's the end of this segment. Doug, we'll get to your comments in segment three, and we'll wrap up this discussion of hotels and alternative lodging and all the points. Back in a minute. You may have heard my pitch for membership. It's a great idea and really helps out. However, you can also support us by picking up a fun t-shirt, sticker, or something from a large selection of items from our T Public store. Head over to arcpodnet.com slash shop for a link. That's arcpodnet.com slash shop to pick up some fun swag and support the show. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back, and this week we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney, make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusion supply. See store or jcp.com for details. All right, welcome back to the final segment of the Sierra Archaeology Podcast, episode 168. We're wrapping up this discussion on hotels and Airbnbs and points and all kinds of things. And Doug, I think right as I was ending the last segment, you had something to chime in on. Yeah, it was actually um, something you guys had sort of mentioned, but just to flesh it out a little bit more, is when you're getting points, um, and this goes to 
East Coast bill is it depends again where you're getting points, but a lot of places like to um, offer you like a whole package where they try to rent you a car, do a flight and hotel and everything like that. So mm-hmm. um, sometimes if you're if you're just interested in the car points, like let's say you know your rental, and that's the most important thing for you. Depends what company you're doing with, but a lot of those websites, you know, if you rent a car, then they'll say, oh, would you also, you're going to be in, I don't know, Atlanta. Would you also like a hotel there or something like that? Mm -hmm. And that's a way to gain points as well for something that's very specific that's maybe more important to you, you know, whether it be a a free hotel or car rental or it depends, I guess, the projects, um, you know. I've I've worked with some companies that actually do end up flying out because they had, you know, military government based contracts right. and they were based in Louisiana. So they always got flown out to a bunch of different places. Um, and we were, they're working with us on the border in New Mexico. So they got flown out not every week. So we did 10 days on four days off, but you know, there was flights there as well. So there's a lot of different ways to sort of, hook into the points. It doesn't have to like your hotel points don't have to go towards hotels. You can Mm -hmm. figure out ways to work with like enterprise or Alamo or, you know, any of those other big car rental places or even some of the smaller ones. You know, I I think, uh, I think what we're boiling down to here is if you do have the ability to, um, to book your own lodging if it's not taken out of your hands. Cause that's, that's really what a lot of this comes down to. We're either speaking to field techs or we're speaking to project managers, <laughs> depending on one of the two. Uh, it depends on how you frame it. But if you do have the ability to book your own lodging, man, I, I'm going to make a request to project managers that you start hooking up the field crew prior to the field project starting. Because a lot of times you might know, you know, a week ahead of time or something like that, who all your, who most of your field crew is going to be. Maybe get them on a, on a single email chain and say, Hey, here's an introductions. This is so-and-so they're going to be in this position, this position, rather than doing all those introductions, the same, the morning, the project starts say, Hey, here's all the people that are going to be on this project and here's what their roles are going to be. And then now everybody has their own email addresses and maybe they can start saying, Hey guys, I was, I found this Airbnb that's, that's right near where we're meeting. And it's, you know, it meets all our requirements. Does anybody want to go in on this with me? And then maybe you can book that ahead of time or something like that. I've never seen that before. And I'm literally just making this up off the top of my head. But I think that would be a fantastic idea personally. I don't know. Yeah, no, I think that's where a lot of these sort of travel nightmares from both the uh, <laughs> the, the field, the field, you know, the field directors, uh, yeah. crew chiefs and the techs come from is that in too many cases, I've been on way too many projects where the project starts on Monday. The travel day is on Sunday. The crew is settled on Thursday night. Travel is booked <laughs> and thought and, and thought about for the very first time on Friday. Yeah. And so you got folks running around on Friday trying to find last minute cheap accommodations with only 48 hour notice. Right. Uh, on these things. Uh, there's been plenty of times where I'm having to have awkward conversations with like prospective field techs like, hey, um, we need you to go out to West Virginia next week. Uh, where? Um, what's going to be out in this little small town? Where are we staying? I don't know. We'll get back to you on that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think that's where a lot of these problems, because unfortunately in sort of the project management uh, ideas of too many firms, travel is sort of seen as like the last bit of the con- uh, bit, bit thing to worry about because it's, it's not, it's not in, at least in a lot of people's mind. It's not mm-hmm. directly associated with the project. It has nothing to do with making sure you have your equipment or making sure the site has been evaluated and, and what your testing strategy is going to be or, you know, how many days of actual field work are you going to need on it? It's sort of the supplementary thing on the background because we haven't gotten to the point yet where drones can go out into the field and do all the work for us. So we actually have to hire <laughs> humans and thinking about humans and their human needs is Damn unfortunately humans. seen as one of the last things. Um, that gets thought about, and it's not always even yeah. the project manager's fault. It's the it's the client um, who's like you know, wants to get all these other things in place, and sometimes you're not signing you know your your paperwork uh, to agree to do this project until like Wednesday afternoon uh, with an agreement that you're going to be in the field by Monday. So you yeah. can't hire your crew yet because you don't have anything signed guaranteeing you're going to have a project for them. So so I'm not even blaming like the PMs on this one. It's it's sort of the 
I am blaming this entire damn industry <laughs> yeah, uh, for this yeah. one. Um, but I think that leads to a lot of these horror stories because these are a lot of these. You get make a lot of last second decisions. You stay in the place, which is like, you know, dealing meth and having prostitution in places. I'm not even <laughs> exaggerating. I've stayed at these no. hotels. Um, there was one morning I had. I, well, it was middle of winter. Uh, I still got up at five, checked out of the hotel, 5 a.m. in the morning, checked out a hotel, went to the field, even though sunrise wasn't going to be for another three hours because a uh, a uh, night worker and her uh, her prospective client were having a large conversation about their uh, deal hmm. in the hallway that woke me up in the middle of the night. And I'm like, yep, nope. And that was by yeah. myself doing a uh, doing a cell tower project. So I was like, yeah, nope, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. So hmm. but that was because it was one of these projects where. I'm told that this was even worse. I was basically told I have to go out the next day uh, and can you find yeah. a cheap place? And, and this is your budget. And it's always, you know, when you, when they say it like that, you, you know, it's always a somewhat realistic thing. Uh, you keep talking about these numbers, like $60, $70 an hour, like living in the DC Baltimore area. Uh, the only places you'd find with that would be the kind of place that they're going to be doing illicit activities out there. It's more like the 120, 150, $200 night. Um, mm-hmm. places uh, around here unless you yeah. are, have do enough long-term studying and negotiations and have time and things like that so um yeah um that would be my my sort of i think a lot of this frustration from crew and and, and it goes and it sets the tone wrong right from the beginning for a crew if you oh, yeah. want a crew to feel salty uh to your company put them in a crappy hotel um yeah. make give them a last you know let the in a, or even just give them the anxiety of um, I need to pack and I'm leaving on Sunday and I'm have to wait till an email Sunday morning to tell me where I even have to go. Um, mm-hmm. You know, some people are cool with sort of that really fast and loose stuff. And uh, I know I'm not. Uh, I like to know everything's in order and things and have things planned and and think things out. So that that kind of stuff causes anxiety for me. Uh, so it's not cool having that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, sort mm-hmm. of sort of wrap all those they don't have to wrap everything back into the world of CRM. Um, I think the big lesson here is that there's a lot of cool things, a lot of good options out there for travel and travel needs to be taken seriously. If your project requires your crew to travel someplace and to stay a place, I think that needs to be a top priority. Then that needs mm-hmm. to be part of your logistical plan from the very beginning is yeah. not just what are they going to do in the field, but how are we going to get them there and where are they going to be staying? All need to be thought about from the beginning rather than, Okay, we got the signed paperwork. We got a notice to proceed. Um, let's go round up whoever we can, and then after we do that, we'll find a cheap hotel, and, yeah. and then we'll go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's actually a good point that you've raised, Bill. Is also uh, health and safety. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that's when you when you start doing it on your own, you know, finding a place to stay. There's the sort of health and safety that you're talking about, Bill, where you don't want to be with the meth heads and the prostitutes, but um, even just health and safety sort of stuff inside crews as well. It's why I'm always a bit hesitant about like sort of one sharing rooms uh, just in general for privacy stuff, but um, also sort of that Airbnb. Cause you know, if you, if you have a fairly large crew, chances are at some point someone's going to get angry at someone else. So it's just, it's the nature of field work. And then you also have that issue of, you know, harassment. So if you're being harassed by someone on the crew, you want to be able to go back to your own room and own space and be able to, you know, avoid that person. But sometimes if, you know, they start cramming everyone into a single house or whatever to have everyone, you don't get that escape. Um, and that's, that's particularly bad, you know, for all sorts of harassment, but even just sometimes on crew cohesion, you know, it happens. It's you have long, maybe a 12 hour day, you're out in the sun, someone says something, it just pisses you off. You snap at them, they snap back at you. And then you guys, you know, you, you cool off and it gets taken care of later. But if you're, if you're stuck in the same, um, same living space confined that can be that can make the situation worse yeah. um and, and then even with hotels and stuff it's always i remember we were on one project where mysteriously we all got uh put in rooms next to each other except for um one young lady who happened to be the youngest person on on the 
crew and the hotel person put them basically on the other end of the hotel and um, closer to the office. It was it was really creepy. Um, is basically mm. what happened, and we we just said no. We're all going to have rooms together, or you're not going to have us. And so they they moved the person over. But you do have to sort of think about that sort of issues of you know when you are bunking a bunch of people. You know, one will they get along? But two, if something goes wrong or something happens to someone at the hotel, where you know. Are you going to have? Are they going to have to go next door or like three floors up to find you or um, whoever else is in charge and needs to be able to handle those issues? That's totally true. You know, I mean, especially these small towns. I mean, you can't trust some of the uh, the hotel clerks, even like you said, Doug. You know, where to place people, <laughs> even based on recommendations. But you know, one, one thing uh, both you guys are alluding to here is really just advanced planning and. You know, the first time the hotel situation in a town should be looked at, if the company doesn't have familiarity with that town. I mean, a lot of times out here in Nevada, we only have a few towns to choose from. So if you're like, oh, I've got a project near Battle Mountain, like I pretty much know what the deal is in Battle Mountain. You know, I know what the hotels are. I know what they cost. You know, I, I don't have to look at Elko. I know what the hotels are. I know what they cost, you know, things like that. But if you're going to someplace new, when you're bidding that project and you know there's 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 one thing that you know when you're bidding a project you know the size of it you know where it's at because if you didn't know those two things you wouldn't be able to bid the project so just the fact that you know those two pieces of information means that you can also decide okay this is how many people i need based on the size and the time frame this is how many people i need this is going to have to be either the town that we're staying in or the camping situation that we're in or whatever the deal is this is what it's going to be therefore here's what I have to put in the project for per diem requirements or lodging requirements if you're not doing per diem or something like that and say, this is going to be a line item cost and then always add 20% just in case, you know, uh, and when you do that. So that's the first time. Now, depending on how big your company is, that might be a business developer that's doing that. That might be somebody whose only job is to write proposals. But this is why companies should have everything in sort of shared resources with a definite uh, folder structure that can be easy to follow. Because by the, by the time this project is won and then it's handed to a project manager to deal with, they should be able to look back through the proposal history and say, okay, so it's out here. They bid this much. Now I have to go find these things. And, and one of the reasons, just so field techs know, the, one of the reasons you often don't find out where you're going to be until a few days before the project is because a lot of times the notice to proceed is only a few days out and you can't actually book the hotel rooms two weeks in advance because if you do that, if you book it in advance, nine times out of 10, the start date's going to change. And now you got to call the hotel, deal with all that. Maybe that's okay. Maybe that's what we should do. But if you don't call within enough time, then they get really pissed and they might charge you anyway. But you've got to, you've got to do all those planning things, which what this really all boils down to, guys, and I'm going to say it again, is field techs should be able to find their own lodging. Just tell them they're getting 150 bucks a day or 100 bucks a day, whatever gets them enough food and lodging support, and let them figure it out. And then they can go find their stuff. They can use their own points-bearing credit card to purchase a hotel room and deal with changing it if they want to. And you hire professionals. You say, listen, our meeting point is here at 7 o'clock every day. You've got most companies give you one or two strikes for not showing up on time and just not just archaeology companies, but every company. And if you don't show up when you when and where you're supposed to be without a phone call, you don't say like, hey, I got a flat tire or something like that. Then that's a no call, no show. Um, even if you're late, it's a no call, no show at the time you were supposed to be there. And you only get, you know, maybe one or two of those, maybe three at a company. And then you're fired. That's all there is to it. There's plenty of people that can be here to take your place in in less than 24 hours and uh, jump on the Archeo Field Text group in Facebook and say, hey, I need somebody over here now. And you'll probably get somebody. So that's my thing. Just give them the money and have them deal with it themselves because then they can choose whatever they want. And most of these problems go out the door. So I don't know. Where are we standing on all this, guys? What, what's our... What's our final verdict here? <laughs> I think it, it'll depend on the person. I think, uh, at least for you and I, Chris, and maybe Bill as well, we would prefer to source our own accommodation because we've talked about points and mm-hmm. you know it, it helps pay for our, our holidays. It, it's a great thing, but that's not for everyone. Some people just want to be able to have it taken care of. They just want to show up. They don't care about the points. They're, they just want to be able to say... I need to be at this 
accommodation at this time and everything's taken care of. I don't have to do anything. Maybe I have to sign in to get my key. And that's the most I have to do. So I think it's a bit more complicated in that it really depends on who's on your crew and who the, who the person is, um, which I guess is a, a big punt on my part. I'm sorry. That's basically like saying, Hey guys, it's complicated. <laughs> okay. Well then I'll, and then I'll take the opposite view. Then I'm going to go towards the, I still think the company should, should handle it because um, more often than not, even with the information ahead of time, uh, most of your field crew isn't really going to focus on what the project is until they're actually in the field. Um, mm -hmm. They're not, you know, in terms of like understanding, we're going to be out here 10 hours a day. That doesn't really sink in until they're actually standing in the field and working and going, oh, this is what we were supposed to be doing out here. I just got a call saying I show up for work and I showed up for work. So without those sort of other th factors uh, in play, um, I don't necessarily know if I would trust their decision making in terms of finding the, what's going to be the best location for the project. Now, the opposite is also true. If it's somebody up in like, you know, HR who's handling traveling for the entire big corporation, they also aren't thinking about what's best for the uh, what's best for the project. They're thinking what's best for the bottom line. Um, so mm -hmm. I like it when there's somebody on the project in some sort of management uh, view uh, putting out there. Now, now, with that being said, if the rooms are sort of small and there, there maybe is a couple accommodations, giving some flexibility uh, to the crew and going, hey, our main, our main hotel is going to be here. But since, um, you know, in your scenario, Chris, um, you're paying for your own lodging. Uh, here is another one or two options that are also close by that you may also want to uh, look at, too. So it's, it's sort of the compromise view. <laughs> it's the project manager sort of making the decision but maybe gives a one or two choices uh, to the uh, crew to sort mm -hmm. of make them feel, feel more, more comfortable uh, with the project. Right. Okay. Well, let's wrap up this episode then. Uh, I'll just give one final thought on all this. Um, I think in the end, uh, in fact, I was just talking to a friend of mine yesterday about some situations he had with uh, a few companies he'd work with and it really disheartened him because, because really all their agreements were verbal over the phone and uh, you need to have stuff in writing basically is what this comes down to. If you're, if you're happy with double occupancy in a small hotel room, that's great, but make sure you don't find that out on the day that you show up to the project, right? Uh, when you're, when you're called to come on, it usually almost all, almost all the time, there's a phone call, unless you've got a long history with the company, then they might just email you and say, Hey, can you come out on this project? But even then find out, everything. And even if that writing is, it doesn't have to be official company letterhead, although that would be nice. It can't just be an email, right? Emails are permissible uh, and admissible in a lot of legal situations these days. And if they say, listen, here's what your lodging is going to be. Here's what your per diem is going to be. Here's the situation. Here's, you know, the town we're going to be in. Here are some options, you know, all that stuff. Just ask them for it. Just ask them for it. And if you have it, you have it, you know, then, they, then you're going to be done. Absolutely. That's that's absolutely needed uh, for any yeah. tech out there. Get that stuff in writing about your whole project. That's right. That's right. And I think I'll add to the Team Black video list that I'm creating, uh, educating people about point systems and things like that, because like, uh, you know, like both of you guys said, you know, people just don't know all this stuff. You know, they don't know all these things. And, and I think one of the big benefits of being a field technician and being in this job is all the extras you can get if you know how to kind of game the system. Right. I mean, take advantage of the the type of job that we have here and and go from there you you see other big companies and they're giving people retirement education and you know things like that so they understand how to invest in their 401k and all those things well we should be doing that as archaeology companies and telling people how to best you know live their best lives <laughs> as field techs and get everything they can from it all right well i think that's it for this week uh Thanks, guys. And we'll be back next week with possibly a special um, guest who's doing a side hustle. And uh, we'll talk to him about that. He's also an archaeologist, but he's from uh, Australia and working here in California. And he's going to be on today, but I just couldn't pull together in time. So I think that's going to be next time. So otherwise, if you want a guest on the show, talk about what you're doing, just kind of be a co-host with us, a guest co-host, then email me, Chris, at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. And we'll see you next week. That's it for another episode of the CRM Archaeology Podcast. Links to some of the items mentioned on the show are in the show notes for this podcast, which can be found at www.archpodnet.com slash podcast. 
Please comment and share anywhere you see the show. If you'd like us to answer a question on a future episode, email us. Use the contact form on the website or just email chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Support the show and the network at arcpodnet.com slash members. Get some swag and extra content while you're there. Send us show suggestions and interview suggestions. We want this to be a resource for field technicians everywhere, and we want to know what you want to know about. Thanks to everyone for joining me this week. Thanks also to the listeners for tuning in, and we'll see you in the field. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Whoa, that was just like a normal goodbye. I know. I, I thought I'd throw it up, you know, mix it up for <laughs> once, Chris, because, you know, I, I've always done something different for so long. I, I'm running out. Of, well, actually, I'm not running out of things to do, but uh, yes, yeah, I thought I had to your life. Nice, I thought I had an nice. echo because I was hearing feedback at the same time I was talking. I'm like, what's that noise? <laughs>